Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. I don't know. I, I never thought about it. You know, maybe I'm off, but I don't know. Nothing comes to the forefront of my mind. You don't call them sinners. I, I never thought about it, but I probably don't. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. No, take two, please. Wretched Radio begins in five, four, three, two, one. Hi, I'm Todd Fryer. That's better. This is Wretched Radio. <laughs> That's Nick's daughter. She's a good kid. Clearly, dad is a monster. Forcing his child to listen to Christian radio. The secularists would say, you shouldn't be doing that to children. And when we say, why not? They say, because we want to do it for you. Perhaps you have had a meal that looked great when it was placed in front of you. But wow, it was so unsatisfying. In other words, if you've ever been to Panera, <laughs> here's some words that have never been spoken in or near a Panera. I'm stuffed. Not once in the history of Panera have those words been uttered. And so if you like Panera, in other words, you like to be unsatisfied, you're going to love this edition of Wretched Radio with Todd Fryer. Why? Because I'd like to lay something before you. And frankly, it may not be as pretty as a chicken sandwich at Panera. How is it that ba- it, the bakery looks so good when you walk through the door? Uh, All your hopes and expectations. An, and then you finish the salad and you go, was there really chicken in there? Because I don't remember. It. It's an illusion. Where should we go to eat now? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a word that you heard a lot walking out of a Panera door. You still hungry? Yeah, I am. Well, that, that's because people don't study Latin. This is a problem with our education system. We do not teach kids Latin these days because everybody knows that the word Panera is Latin for I'm still hungry. (laughs) You would know better if you like being unsatisfied by a meal. This might feel that way. So why am I presenting this to you? Because if nothing else, it will demonstrate this subject is hard. It's complicated. There are a lot of historical perspectives. And maybe, just maybe, even though we leave the radio a bit hungry, it will at least help us to not be so agitated with one another when we go about the business of trying to come up with a Christian theology regarding government. This is a subject that is not new. Now, we're talking about it more in America than we ever have. Well, we've always talked politics, but we're talking about how the place runs. What is the expectation of a government? How should they be behaving? Well, the church in the West for let's just call it 17, maybe 18 centuries has basically had a bit of a collective opinion, and yet there are some dissenting voices. Let's go back to the 4th century, an individual named Constantine. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire, and he, hopefully, got saved. What did he decide to do? Make 
Rome and every nation in its subjugation, Christian. In other words, you're born in his realm. That's your religion. And that has basically been how Western civilization for centuries viewed faith and nation. The Catholic system, Lutherans too, your region, your religion. So if the emperor or if the prince of the province is a particular religion, you can say this is the type of nation we are. We're Lutheran, we're Catholic, we're Christian. Well, it was really just mostly Catholic up until the Protestant Reformation. But afterwards, we see even Lutherans consider Scandinavian countries. You're born there into the state church. Where does that come from? What about the Anglican Communion, where the king, hey, I didn't blow it, where the king, he is the head of the Anglican Communion Church. Why? Because there has been a philosophy about the relationship between church and government for a long time. And as you're about to hear There has not been absolute agreement, especially after the Protestant Reformation, even during the Protestant Reformation. What is a Christian theology about government? What role do they play in our lives? And what is their relationship to the church? And people have debated this, and perhaps maybe this is the most satisfying note in a rather unsatisfying presentation We shouldn't be tearing at each other when we disagree on these things. We just can't be going for the jugular on how we view government systems. This is anything but an orthodoxy issue. And increasingly, I suspect, because we are starting, we're starting. I don't think we're anywhere near a totalitarian regime, but we're getting a flavor of it, aren't we? We're starting to grasp, hey, freedom of the press, what's going on? Hey, free and fair elections, what's going on? And we're starting to go, okay, we got to ask ourselves some questions about government. And these questions have been asked and answered historically, and they've been answered differently by different brilliant people. And so for your consideration, would you like the bread, the chips, or the apple? With your unsatisfied, satisfying meal. I was reading some articles in the American Reformer, which, while being presumably a secular website, regularly talks about Christian things. And they do it rather intelligently. This particular article, Religious Liberty Without Liberalism. Please note, liberalism, classically understood, just meant meant freedom, more, more of an not God-considered worldview. We're just liberal. There is no religion influencing. This is from the age of reason, the Enlightenment period, that you just need to let everybody believe whatever they want to. That's liberalism in this particular context, not the wacky Democratic Party. Abraham Kuyper, he was a Reformed theologian, late 19th century, he delivered an address titled Calvinism and Politics. Now, whether you're a Calvinist or not, this is a worthwhile exercise because we are going to hear how somebody who was, like him or not, brilliant, 
noodled through this. Then you're going to hear Abraham Kuyper's understanding of Calvin. And what I think we are going to hear and what your expectation should be, Friel, how long is this preamble going to be? Is that when we live in a culture, the society might be influencing us more than we know. The big question that I had as I was considering some of these political theologies of great individuals is, hey, that that could really only be considered and thought wise in a region where basically Christianity is assumed. When you listen to the words of John Calvin, you're, you're going to hear a man who believed firmly that the, the church and state, there was definitely a closer relationship, that it's the state's job to enforce religion, protect religion, and promote and even punish people for a lack of good values. Now, could he do that if he were lo- located in Pakistan? Well, not with Christianity, he couldn't. And I, and I can't help but wonder, is it possible that if a guy like John Calvin, if he were, was, hmm, influenced by his society and the cultural air that he was breathing, might that be true for us too? In other words, might the times bend our political theology? Might our current experience cause us to perhaps shade things in our favor? That is a good question. From his lecture, Calvinism and Politics, according to Abraham Kuyper, that early Protestant politics was a product of the Middle Ages. Quote, it was exemplified in an article of our old Calvinistic confession of faith, which entrusts to the state the task of defending against and of extirpating every form of idolatry. So in other words, this is, this is the role of the government, getting rid of idolatry and false religion and to protect the sacred service of the church. That's a Middle Ages Constantinian ideology that the church and the state, well, they're, they're quite married. Now, they also recognize that the government doesn't have either the ability or the authority to engage in theological matters, and yet it is their responsibility to protect the church. From the article at the American Reformer, it was a relatively straightforward carrying over of the basic Constantinian settlement, which brought differences in religious matters under the criminal jurisdiction of the government. Whoa! Based on the conviction that there was only one church of Christ on earth, and it was the task of the magistrate to protect that church from schisms, heresies, and sects. Well, that is a different way of looking at it. That was John Calvin. Was he wrong? Are we wrong? Are there options? Or is it possible? This is just a really hard subject. We'll continue not eating next on Wretched Radio. 
like the Pointer Sisters. I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles and the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines, but they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Masters Academy International. Hey, thank you for joining us on Wretched Radio today. You know, we've talked about it so much here on Wretched Radio. The third leading cause of death for Gen Z is suicide. They are depressed, they're anxious, they're suicidal, and they're lost. And Road Trip to Truth is here to help you understand just how to talk and witness to this generation. They have questions, and Road Trip to Truth will help you with the answers to some of the questions they're asking. Seasons 1 and Seasons 2 of Road Trip to Truth available right now at wretched.org or roadtriptotruth.org and it's only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. If you're a gospel partner already, we certainly do appreciate you and your efforts. If you're not a gospel partner, would you please prayerfully consider becoming one? Pray about it. Talk to your spouse about it and go to wretched.org slash donate and there you'll find answers to a lot of the questions you'll likely have. That's wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at Tomorrow Clubs org slash wretched know your church fathers Justin Martyr was a second century apologist who was converted after seeing the courage and devotion of Christian martyrs he earned his surname when he was executed for his faith when asked to renounce his faith he responded no one in their right mind turns from true belief to false belief. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is the air I breathe. Hello, this is Wretched Radio. No, I'm not singing an old worship song. Which, wait a second. This is the air I breathe. Your very presence living in me. And I... We'll always love you. I think that's how that song went. That's exactly how it goes. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) The subject 
that we are trying to dissect today, it ain't easy because we breathe cultural air. The time in which we live, it does indeed warp and woof us. And the government, based on its current behavior and its current form, is something that if we grow up in it, we then incorporate what we like, what we don't like, into our Christian theology about politics. And if you take the time to study the very complex subject of Protestant political theory, you are going to hear there has been wild disagreement on the subject. Let me ask you a question. We'll do a test to see if you have been breathing your cultural air. What's the job of government? What's their role? What should we encourage them to be doing predominantly these days in the West? And this, is, this isn't entirely new, but it is stronger than ever. It is to protect liberties, to let people be, to let them behave in any way that they want to behave. That's our current liberal, not democratic, but classic liberal understanding of liberty. And it is therefore the government's job to protect that. That's why we're seeing the zaniness that we are seeing these days. Has that perhaps influenced you? Has that perhaps affected you? How do you view the relationship between the church and the state? Most likely, whether we are aware of it or not, it is at least a bit predicated on how we've lived in this particular system. Let me take you to the American reformer, a quote from John Calvin. To the civil magistrate, it is assigned, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm translating this from Swiss, because that's what he spoke, the Calvin fellow, was the Swiss language. Yeah. yeah. We, to the civil magistrate, it is assigned, so long as we live among men. Now, to the government, he's talking, to foster and maintain the external worship of God to defend sound doctrine and the condition of the church. And you probably are then go, whoa, uh, wait a second. That's not the government's job. And well, in great part, I agree with you. Why did Calvin say such a thing? Because at the time, I don't think that he could understand the pluralistic society that we currently live in. He couldn't imagine living amongst what they would call the Turks, the Buddhists, even the papists, because there were regions that were Protestant, there were regions that were Catholic. In other words, your region, your religion. And so John Calvin believed that it is the magistrate's job to actually protect the church and make sure that it isn't going wonky. Do you agree with that? He also, Abraham Kuyper, in dissecting the political theology of John Calvin, said this. Abraham Kuyper, by the way, reform politician. This was, I think, 1897, 1898. Civil magistrates are and remain God's servants. Amen to that. Whether they are aware of it or not is irrelevant. God puts them there to carry out his tasks and assignment to keep an orderly society. They have to recognize God as supreme ruler. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. They have to recognize God as supreme ruler. Now, this was assumed in America until very recently. Virtually every president, there was one or two who maybe didn't have Protestant background and theology. 
Whether they were saved or not isn't the point. Predominantly Protestant, very rarely was somebody a rank unbeliever. Now that's fine. We don't care what they believe. Back then, they did. The magistrate has to recognize God as supreme ruler from whom they derive their power. That's Romans 13. They have to serve God by ruling the people according to his ordinances. Whoa, wait a second. Now, this is a smart guy, the Abraham Kuyper fellow. He was the fellow who rightly said there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Therefore, that includes the magistrates and the government. And it is their task, therefore, to make sure that the church is healthy and that they lead with Christian principles. They have to restrain blasphemy where it directly assumes the character of affront to the divine majesty. And God's supremacy is to be recognized by confessing his name in the Constitution as the source of all political power. Now, we don't have the Lord's name in our founding documents. Divine providence is certainly there. Kuiper appears to be saying, no, it should be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where your power comes from. This was his take. God's supremacy is to be recognized by confessing his name in the Constitution as a source of all political power by maintaining the Sabbath, by proclaiming days of prayer and thanksgiving, and by invoking his divine blessing. If you were having dinner with Abraham Kuyper, he probably wouldn't eat much, so he might be satisfied with Panera, but you're sitting down with Abraham Kuyper, an individual who was a born-again believer who was whip-smart. Would you agree with him? He would think you're nuts if you thought about a separation of church and state. And we might look at him and go, no, actually, you're of the nutty camp. What do we do with this? Well, I guess we could say that Abraham Kuyper was a heretic. And this statement, he apostatized himself. I guess we could do that. But if we start to separate, based on our understanding of Christian political theory, I got to tell you, you are going to be on an island by yourself. Because as much as we disagree on a lot of stuff, the practical outworking of Christian theology when it comes to the relationship with the government, it is clearly not easy. I suspect most evangelicals, not all, but there are many today, by the way, who agree with Abraham Kuyper. So in a sense, you could have dinner with Abraham Kuyper or an individual who loves his teaching on the relationship of church and state. What are you going to do? You're going to park company over that? Let's go back to the American reformer. The classically liberal dream of universal peace by means of neutrality, regardless, regarding religion rather, is an unreal fantasy. History has borne this out, which should not surprise Christians. God did not take us to be, make us rather, to be neutral with regard to truth. We will either be partisans of what is actually true or what we think is true. A substantial understanding of justice of some sort will prevail. The question is merely which one? Well, that's an interesting question now, isn't it? Every government is going to have a version of morality. The only question, rightly argued, is which one is it? In this country, historically, we've said, duh, Christianity. 
more specifically, of the Protestant variety. And we expect our elected officials to, they better at least give lip service to that view. Otherwise, they're not electable. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, some of the early constitutions of different states in this country said that an atheist can't be a magistrate. (laughs) That's that's fascinating. Why did they think that? Well, part of it is they were coming out of the Constantinian Middle Ages, where the idea was that the government, it endorsed, promoted, defended, protected, and in a lot of cases imposed the Christian church on the realm that an individual ruler reigned in, which is really horrible grammar. And so the Protestants that came out of that system, they also thought, hey, we need to have Christianity somehow influencing how this place is run. Where do you land on this? Believe me, what you just heard is not even close to a thorough consideration of Christian political theory. Not even close. And by the way, am I saying what the system should look like? I hope I haven't given an indication of my sentiments on this subject at all, because that wasn't the goal of this meal. The goal of this was to recognize, okay, this maybe requires a little bit more deep thinking. Maybe this requires that we do a little church history study on Christians' politics throughout the past, because there's nothing new under the sun. What do we learn from it? Now, what we learn from it is going to differ from Christian to Christian. It's going to depend on who you consume. It's going to depend on your theology and your eschatology. In other words, we're going to have different Christians with different opinions. Can we at least agree on this? Can we at least agree that we can have room for different Christians who have different views on the attitude of church and state? We hope that you have enjoyed this meal, recognizing it's not entirely filling, but perhaps food for thought. This is Wretched Radio. This is Rented Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hanks. Mayor LaToya Cantrell, the defiant New Orleans mayor, insisted recently that she had to fly first class on a recent taxpayer-funded flight to France and Switzerland because economy class is not safe for black women and because she has a child. The Democratic mayor made the shocking claim at a news conference last Thursday where she was asked if she would reimburse the city for $30,000 spent to fly in luxury. She vowed not to repay the taxpayers of New Orleans despite a city policy that seems to require her to, saying, quote, my travel accommodations are a matter of safety, not of luxury. (laughs) I'm going to try to use that excuse the next flight I take. So here's a real headline I'm not making up. A major Italian festival in New York City decided to ban any and all merchandise from the Godfather franchise because it's offensive to Italians. Political correctness running rampant all over, but I don't actually think that's true. So I told you last week about the Miami-Dade School Board voting not to have LGBT History Month within the public school system. This man standing and speaking at the school board meeting is part of the reason they voted the way they did. As a gay man, I understand the importance of a healthy and balanced education. Legislation and policies do not encourage 
positive change. People do. If you feel LGBT youth need more support, support them yourself as an individual. The education system has been hijacked by people who push their agendas disguised as social justice warriors. I am gay. I am not oppressed. I am not being attacked. I'm not abused. An official with the U.S. Department of Justice recently sparked a little backlash after calling the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a religious freedom advocacy organization. This official from the DOJ called them a hate group on social media. Of course, calling ADF a hate group was a move that violates the Department of Justice's employee policy regarding how federal government employees should use social media. But this administration doesn't seem too keen on following rules or even the law. And you've likely seen this, but an audio recording shared online last week, pop superstar Britney Spears announced that she no longer believes in God. God would not allow that to happen to me if a God existed. I don't believe in God anymore because of the way my children and my family have treated me. There is nothing to believe anymore. I'm an atheist, y'all. Look, I, I know Britney Spears has been through a lot with all this conservatorship, and I don't really know all the details behind it. But what I do know is her belief in God doesn't make him exist or not exist. Scripture clearly teaches us that if you have been biblically born again, you don't wake up one day and say, ah, I don't believe all this stuff anymore. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. <laughs> Important dates in Christian history. 1678. John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress is published. Written while Bunyan was in prison for preaching the gospel, this allegorical tale of the Christian life becomes second in international circulation, exceeded only by the Bible. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's not too late. This is Wretched Radio. If you happen to be near the Atlanta area this weekend, invite you to join me and Jimmy. You're going to be at the marriage thingamajig clam bake at <laughs> Foothills Baptist Church. Oh, no. Foothills Community Church. Ouch. I, I was feeling so pleased with myself. <laughs> Seriously, when I was saying it, it's like, look at me. I've actually remembered something. <laughs> look at me. Apparently, I haven't. Foothills Baptist Church. Oh, you did it again. Oh, nuts. <laughs> Mountain Community Church. <laughs> and am I still biffing on this deal? Yeah, a little bit. That's where we are going to be on Saturday evening. If nothing else, come for the Chick-fil-A. Stay for the lectures because we're going to be eating Chick-fil-A. Why? Because that's the Christian thing to do in the South. Now, the Christian thing to do if you have good taste is eat Zaxby's. Nevertheless, we're not going to cause a schism over this. If you're anywhere near Foothills Community Church, invite you to join us. It should be a gas, gas, gas. Jimmy, how can people get tickets? Foothillscommunitychurch.org. Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That's how I learned to remember it. You know, I would bet that there are is is not a small number of churches that in meeting about the determining the name of their new church, they don't consider how long it is when you have to type in the address. Oh, yes. Oh, but if you may, if you just F C C, well, will people remember that? Well, you know, there is an FCC.org already taken, which is why you guys don't have it, which <laughs> is why 
We have to type in foothillscommunitychurch.org. We'll see you hopefully this Saturday night. I'm looking. Okay, let me tell you, I'm looking forward to to two things mostly, not not entirely. I'm looking forward to the time that we're going to spend together before I have to blah, blah, blah. We, we just hang out over waffle fries. Is there anything sweeter than that for Christians? Really? You get to eat some nice deep fried food while spending time with individuals who have determined my life does not belong to me. I belong to another. My identity is in Christ. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. Therefore, you and I are brothers and sisters. And then the second aspect of the evening that I'm looking for is at the very end. And I'm not going to tell you what that is, but it will either be so profound for you that your marriage, no matter what state it is currently in, will be enhanced, or you're going to want to kill me. There's, there, that's your either-or choice. So we hope you'll join us, foothillscommunitychurch.org. Jimmy, yes. should we legislate morality? Are you, you're asking me that question. <laughs> Should we legislate yeah. morality? Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's the right answer. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, brrr, we want to legislate abortion, right? Yeah. What about blasphemy? If you are a Sabbatarian in any way, shape, or form, should we have blue rules, blue laws still? This question is in front of us today. So here's here's the quiz for you to determine if you've got this sorted or not. Somebody says to you, wait a second. So you're you want to impose abortion laws on people, but you don't want to impose adultery laws. Well, actually, maybe there are some there are some evangelicals who do believe that that is the case. And they perhaps tend to be more on the theonomist side, but nevertheless, there's there's a large group of Christians that would say, yeah, we should be mandating those things because it's moral and it's right and it is for the good of people. Where do you stand on the subject? This, too, is an issue that ain't easy and different Christians are going to have different takes. And please note, I'm going to pull an Andy Stanley. Yeah, Please just don't take a line of what I'm saying and just rip it out of context, please don't, because I'm not trying to tell you what to think on this. I'm thinking it through, and I'm discovering it isn't easy. And if I'm willing to not, even for a brief shining moment, play the role of the proverbial fool, I can recognize some smart brothers and sisters in Christ are going to see this differently, Please, let's not divide over this. Please, not this. We're talking about political theory here, and I'm not suggesting that politics is not without theology. It is a theological issue because the Bible tells us so. It's one of God's realms of jurisdictional authority. In light of the fall, we need systems in place to make sure we're not the island of the flies, that we are not acting like the people in the time of the judges, that we are not acting like the people in the time of Noah. Governments put in place, families put in place, churches put in place. Now, the dance between the three is dynamic and difficult. 
And we have to recognize I might have a different take on this, but I'm not going to fight about it. Debate it? Certainly. But let's not fight. And please, let's not take one another out of context because it is not my goal to persuade you. This is exactly how it should be done. In fact, quite honestly, I'm almost to the point of saying anybody who does say, no, I, I do have this figured out. Oof. I'm not sure that reflects church history where we have had good men, good women throughout the ages disagreeing. The American reformer writing another article on religion, why we must legislate morality. I am going to set this before you. We're going to nosh on it a little bit. You may spit it out. You may consume some of it. But ultimately, at the end of the meal, we're going to recognize there is a lot on the plate. And yes, I am going to continue with my eating illustrations. So let's devour this article from American Reformer. In America, one often hears that the state shouldn't legislate morality or that people have a right to do anything so long as they aren't hurting anyone. You've heard that, no doubt. That actually comes from John Stuart Mill's. It's the harm principle. The state may only interfere with liberty to prevent non-consensual harm to other people. So live and let live unless you hurt somebody, then you're going to be in trouble. And we're not going to impose our religious views on anybody. No doubt you've heard that battle cry. Now, this article is going to say not so fast. And I'm putting this before you not because I'm saying I agree with everything in the article, but because everything in the article is so stinking challenging. This, you explain why don't you want adultery legislated? That if somebody commits adultery or gets an inappropriate divorce, you go to jail. We, we want that when it comes to other issues of morality. So let's dive in to their presentation so that we can at least chew on it a bit. Yep, that was another one. While popular, this view is wrong. Conservatism ought to abandon the liberal, not democratic, but classic liberal idea that the state exists solely to protect individual rights. Rather, individual rights derive from and must remain rooted in a framework of moral duties, oriented toward the natural human goods. Now, I I found this super helpful in thinking this through because people will say, hey, the government stops at the front door of my house. Should it? The government stops when it comes to my thinking. Now, I found this argument rather compelling. I'm not sure that I would say that it is entirely clear in the Bible that, that we have an interest in the virtue of other citizens. We, the focus of the New Testament is that we basically are worried about one another and that we evangelize the lost. We do good. We live peaceably among men. But this is, I think this is pretty compelling. Jimmy, see if you buy into this. The framework, moral duties oriented toward natural human goods. Natural goods are not fleeting desires. They are perceived by reason to be worthy of pursuit for their own sake because they enable humans to reach the best possible state according to their nature. If then rights are designed to facilitate the pursuit of natural goods, in other words, human flourishing, 
One cannot have a right to do what is wrong. So what you do behind closed doors, the virtue that you manifest behind closed doors, it is going to affect the greater community. It's going to. So if you are, for instance, a, a, a pervert accountant, you are watching things that no human should look at on your computer screen. And then you go off to work and nobody would know the difference. It affects us, is the argument. Now, here's the challenge. Who defines what those things are? Which one of these issues are we talking about? And lo and behold, what we discover is throughout Protestant church history, people have had different opinions on that. (laughs) And that's where we are today. It seems to me we would do well to at least dive into trying to answer the question about legislating morality so that we can at least have a consistent presentation and position on the issue of the relationship between Christianity and the state. We will continue to do just that next on Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Why do we believe so much in biblical counseling? Well, it's comments like these. I just haven't thought of it that way. Pretty intense, huh? Those are comments from real people receiving real biblical counseling for real issues in season one of Transformed. Released this year, Transformed is like nothing else you'll see on Christian TV. You're a fly on the wall witnessing real biblical counseling sessions. With Dr. Greg Gifford, professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he's our host and biblical counselor conducting these sessions, which deal with issues like anxiety, OCD, anger, trauma, depression, and much more. And Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, is our other host. Dr. Johnson chalk talks the sessions to provide a deeper understanding of biblical counseling. Transformed is truly a one-of-a-kind production, providing you with an up-close look at the hope and relief only the Bible can provide. Transformed, from brokenness to wholeness. And it's available now at transformed.org. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for health care sharing for more than 25 years. 
it works. And the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Books of the Bible. Galatians was written by Paul to the churches he planted in the region of Galatia, in modern-day Turkey, where a form of legalism was threatening the gospel. Paul insists that salvation is by grace through faith, and to rely on the law is to deny the gospel. In the gospel, God has once for all declared us righteous on the basis of Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Case in point, Jimmy... This is Russian Radio. During the break, you actually highlighted one quote from an article that I'm reading from the American Reformer that there are people who would say, classic liberals who would say, and that's probably the majority of citizens in the West, that the government's authority stops at the front door of my house. But, Jimmy, yep. you bring up what issue? Well, I just wondered how that uh, how that. Um works with the three uh, realms, realms of, authority. of authority. Right. Great question. And the easy answer, and this is this is the simplified answer, is that my family is my family, and I will lead, teach, instruct, and treat my family the way that I want to, and the government has no say. That's clean and that's easy, but we all know that just isn't true because we all recognize that if somebody behind closed doors is beating their children, we want the government involved. And they can't say, look, I'm doing it in the privacy of my own home. So the point of bringing up Jimmy as demonstration A, that this subject is tricky, is to remind us <laughs> it's just, this just ain't easy, is what it is. I, I think personally, I've kind of got the, the thing sorted to a degree, but I am not so presumptuous to think, absolutist terms this is how it's supposed to be and the exercise that you and i are endeavoring to eat now that didn't work out with my eating metaphors <laughs> is that this is a complicated dish <laughs> the recipe has a lot of components in it <laughs> this is what i'm trying to say from the american reformer classic natural law thinkers hold that human law ultimately derives from natural law which originates from God's design and is known through reason. There are a lot of natural law Christians. Well, look, if we all kind of get this, duh, then we should legislate that. Here's the challenge with that thinking in our day and age. You People's reason machines are clearly busted. We are living in an inverted reality society. What is up is down. What is black is purple. Although black and purple are kind of related, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, they are. But they're not the same thing. The point is we live in a culture where we do not agree on some of these natural law ideologies. We need a more specific revelation to know exactly what our creator expects of us. Back to the article. Thomas Aquinas argues that the natural law encompasses everything to which a man is inclined according to his nature, including virtue since, now this is Aquinas, see if you agree with this, all people have a natural inclination to pursue virtue. 
I, I don't agree with that. We don't have a natural inclination. We, we, we need an inclination transplant. We need to be given a heart of flesh as opposed to a sinful heart of stone. And so Thomas Aquinas would say, hey, look, we can all kind of get this. And again, I think this is an example of a man who lived in a century where Roman Catholicism was reigning. And so it was pretty easy to say we all agree on these things because these things were just assumed. Now, this is pre-enlightenment time, but nevertheless, I think that Aquinas is simply a product of his environment, just like you and I are. I don't I don't know that he would observe America today and said, yes, people are pursuing virtue. <laughs> Drag queen story hour. <coughs> Back to the article. Aquinas wrote in the Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. So in other words, church politics. Humans have a natural desire to become more perfect. In other words, to reach an exquisite excellence of form by constantly and excellently doing whatever it is that their kind does. We would say that doesn't seem to be working out. Natural law isn't going to get us to the type of moral standard that Christians would say, yeah, we're doing pretty good here. Back to the article, even supposedly private actions implicate the common good to the extent that they promote or hinder human flourishing. So you are somehow with your private morality affecting the public society that you live in. That's, that's, that's the argument being presented. Therefore, is the conclusion of this particular article, it is right and good that Christians, therefore, doesn't explain how, that's an entirely other subject, how do we try to influence the government to have more Christian ideology? Well, these days, even saying that, you're going to get slapped as a Christian nationalist, like you want to storm the Capitol and take over the government. Let's see if we can figure out how do we speak to the government? How do we try to encourage the government? Please be moral. It's for the common good. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, some fans, some not so much. He uses an example of how virtue promotes the common good. He paints the society as a naval convoy traveling through the ocean. There's a danger that the ships will either drift apart from one another or collide with one another and do another damage. So to avoid this, the individual ships must be in good shape. A ship with a faulty engine or steering mechanism will fall behind or veer wildly, damaging the other ships. Therefore, the ship, the individual ship, needs to have a correct compass and operating system. The analogy is so do citizens. In, in order for us to not be just killing each other, which we're doing a lot these days, everybody has to have a moral compass. Therefore, if Christians love human flourishing, and we do, therefore, and this is, this is this conclusion from this article, I'm not telling you this is my conclusion, therefore, Christians should demand and insist that we impose Christian morality even on unchristian people. Well, that's instantly complicated, isn't it? This is how the old folks noodled through this that we can't ban 
all vices. We can't do that because there are just some people who aren't capable. They aren't very mature. They don't have a good background. Therefore, we can't set the bar too high, but we don't want to set it too low. The role of the government then is to increasingly promote a more virtuous society. Now, the question, of course, is how does that happen? We aren't that far. Thomas Aquinas, it is both counterproductive and dangerous to punish all voices, vices, or prescribe all virtues. You don't want to aim too high. You don't want to aim too low. So here's the conclusion from this particular article. And again, I am presenting this to you not as any sort of insisting presentation that you agree with me. I'm just laying it out here for us. Natural law principles for politics and morality. This is the article. You chew on it and digest as you see fit. (laughs) You may need some floss, however. Abandon the goal of neutrality. Conservatives need to shed any idea that the state should be neutral between competing conceptions of morality. Even if it were possible, neutrality would fail to serve the common good, which at the heart is the state's mandate. While a certain amount of pluralism promotes civil peace, nothing should prevent the community from endorsing genuine moral good or incorporating it into public policy. In the absence of a communal conception of what life is for, an atomistic and individualistic liberalism emerges by default. Isn't that what we're seeing? We will, we will be led by morals and values. The only question is whose? And specifically for the Christian, what about us? Number two, no one has a right to commit wrong. The state may not only promote virtue, but penalize wrongdoing. And this is, includes moral legislation, such as regulations on gambling, prostitution, and pornography. Why? Because if you're a guy who's doing that, then you are going to be hurting the greater good, most likely your immediate community, your family. Now, interestingly, we tried this in the early 20th century with Amendment 18, with prohibition on alcohol. And it didn't work out. Vice increased. Illegal activity increased. And dads were still being louts and probably spending even more money and slinking around even more than they used to because the government was mandating mandating a moral issue. This isn't easy. And finally, from the article, avoid perfectionistic moralism. Conservatives must be careful not to let themselves become the mirror image of the hectoring puritanical progressive left. So in other words, like the reformers, like Thomas Hooker, let's say, who wrote rather exhaustively on the subject of the Christian and politics, we want to be careful about it because if we if we become too puritanical, then people are going to revolt. So that's kind of the release valve that they've created to keep the society from rebelling against Christian morals and values. What do we do with all of this? It seems to me we need to treat this a lot like my mother's roast beef. Wow. My mother was actually a good cook up to roast beef. She didn't make good roast beef? Overcooked it. Uh. And I'd sit there as a kid with a clump of it in my (laughs) cheek, just hoping it would disappear. Milk couldn't take it down. In other words, maybe just maybe with this subject, you and I, have got a lot of chewing to do. And as we do this, let's not devour one another. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.